Welcome to Marvel Us Disney. Welcome to Marvelous Disney, the podcast that discusses the most recent doings at one of the more interesting divisions of the Walt Disney Company, which is, of course, Marvel Entertainment. I'm entertainment writer Jim Hill, my co-host, the amazing Aaron Adams, and I are recording this episode on February 19, 2019, which is the Monday of the long President's Day weekend, which, if you're a good American, means you're supposed to go out and buy a mattress. I'm interpreting that right, Aaron, right? Yeah, it's it's entirely to keep people like me in the advertising business alive when there's no other holiday. What do we do with the president? Sell a mattress. Sounds great. I don't entirely get that, but okay. Well, anyway, to jump right into it, we're now in T-minus country for Captain Marvel. You were just talking about the website, though, the, the very cool 80s-style Captain Marvel-like uh, 90s, right? yeah, very, very 90s-stylized, and I can't remember what how they created it, but it's one of those super antique by this point web mm. languages that nobody uses anymore and it's so ugly it mm. is hideous to look at and it brings you some nostalgic joy of looking at it and going oh i remember when stuff looks so bad online and uh, <laughs> one of the fun little things is the old lady from the bus in the mm -hmm. ad that Carol punches her in the face and it turns out that she's a scroll. Her head kind of just pops up here and mm -hmm. there on the website. And if you click fast enough on her face, it'll punch her. <laughs> and I don't know if, if you get points because I sat there clicking on punching her face for like 20 minutes. I didn't unlock anything. I was kind of hoping something cool would happen, but apparently it's just there to amuse you for five seconds. And that's the end of it. And this is like the graphic look from like the flying toaster day of the internet. Am I yeah, correct? totally. I mean, it, yeah, it's made of all of the components that just don't look good. I mean, if you go to CaptainMarvel.com, you can take a look at it and go, oh, it's hideous. Very, mm -hmm. very simply, at first glance, you can identify it as ugly and you can identify it as very, very 90s. Back when you wanted to load a video and it was like buffering for five days to play a 30 second commercial and you're like, oh my God, it's kind of back in that era when you heard the dial up chirp of, of connecting to the internet and mom would pick up the phone and you lose your connection and oh, the frustration of those days. I, I yeah, you are not bringing back happy memories. It, no, okay. it is a direct portal into the 90s. That's the whole point of it. They want to take you to a time and place in the movie. And when they give you the website, there's no better way to do it. I mean, it's brilliant and it's in its ugliness. It's truly a, a work of art in an ugly way. Okay. Now, pivoting to the future, mm -hmm. we're starting to get initial box office projections for uh, Captain Marvel's opening weekend. The conventional wisdom in Hollywood right now is that Captain Marvel would at least do as well as Wonder Woman did during its opening weekend. And that Warner Brothers movie made $103 million, sold $103 million worth of tickets over its opening weekend. There are a couple of people within the entertainment industry who are willing to go a little further out on their limb. They believe that Captain Marvel could do as well as $120 million in North America. Brie Larson, last year... News broke that when Brie officially signed her contract to be in uh, Captain Marvel, she supposedly signed a seven-picture seven picture deal with a $5 million fee. And the interesting thing is that Brie immediately jumped on the internet. Uh, she disputed this news, which was reported by The Hollywood Reporter. But the, she was never clear if she was disputing that it was a seven-picture contract or the $5 million fee. But again, when, if you, you look at Chris Evans, when he 
agreed to play Steve Rogers in Captain America, the first Avenger, uh, when he signed his contract back in March of 2010, he signed a six-picture deal. So it's really not all that far-fetched to assume that Brie, when she came on board and agreed to play this role, signed a, a fairly lengthy deal. And so, Aaron, this brings me then next to the question, what's Kevin Feige got in mind for this character? Well, hold on, it. hold on. Before you even go down this whole meandering mm-hmm. path of possibilities, I want to yep. throw a monkey wrench right in there right away and see see what happens. Okay. <laughs> if we recall Thor Dark World, where mm-hmm. Captain America had a seven-second appearance, right? does that count as a movie? For them, you know, I've actually asked somebody at Marvel Studios about that, and mm-hmm. evidently they gave Chris Evans a very sizable pile of money, and I think I, that there was also a, a flight to a vacation resort involved in that. If he would agree not to count it as the movie toward his contract, right? That it's like, look, you're here for a day, you know, that sort of thing. By the way, if you ever encounter a Chris Evans in the wild. Mm-hmm. and you don't want to startle it, yep. approach it slowly with a large pile of cash, there and you go. might be able to reach out go. and actually pet the Chris Evans <laughs> in the wild. All right. So so anyway, that's the idea of, before you launch into the idea of what is in store for Captain Marvel, is one of those seven-second cameos going to factor in? Are they going to have to give her a lush vacation and a pile of cash to not count that as an appearance? Because as it looks right now, if if they mm-hmm. approached him with that pile of cash to not mm-hmm. consider it as an appearance, well, that meant that it was technically an appearance. Yep. And they were trying to circumvent that contractual rule so they could get more use out of him later. Mm-hmm. So now, with all that being said, go ahead and speculate away. I can't w- wait to see where this is going to go. Okay, so we can account for two of the seven films right off the bat. We've got, obviously, Captain Marvel, and we've got Avengers Endgame. That then leaves five. And Kevin Feige is, you know, the the mastermind behind this 22-film arc. And again, I know it's one of those situations where it's like, yeah, that's what they were able to do, as opposed to that was the plan all along. Well, I also think that a couple of these will be obvious because you've got two, right, with Captain Marvel and you've got Endgame 3. Yep, I can say, obviously, as Captain Marvel 2 whatever the uh, second title of that will be. And then I also firmly believe that Mm -hmm. after Avengers Endgame, we're not going to be done with mighty team-ups. So there is going to be either a new Avengers or some other regroup. It may be Dark Avengers. Who knows what direction Mm -hmm. they go. But there's going to be a team-up somewhere in the future. Mm -hmm. And she'll be utilized for that, as will Spider-Man, as will Doctor Strange. All of our current roster post-Endgame will end up forming the new supergroup. So I'm assuming that in the future, Spidey, Doctor Strange, and Captain Marvel are going to be our current roster of heroes. They're going to be new Avengers, and we're going to have who knows what to take down at that point in the future. So there's four. There's four movies out of seven. Three more to go. Are you familiar with the storyline for Civil War II? Oh, yeah. Okay. Marvel Comics uh, did this in 2016. It was a... Mm -hmm comics crossover event and was actually supposed to be a sequel of sorts to 2006 civil war which feige folded elements from that series of books which faced off steve rogers and tony stark into a winter soldier and a captain america civil war 
Anyway, this time around, the, the 2016 Civil War II, this one has Captain Marvel and Iron Man facing off. Kevin Feige has flat out said that with the completion of Phase 3, first of all, he says Marvel Cinematic Universe isn't going to do phases anymore. And, and I think, Aaron, you're the one who's pointed out that it's quite likely going forward. We're going to see prequels. We're going to see standalone films. We're going to see different characters introduced, as you mentioned, you know, to flesh out the world, so to speak. And this time next month, supposedly the Walt Disney Company will have completed, is it $71.3 billion acquisition of, of Fox, uh, you know, those, those movie and television assets. And it's hard not to think that Feige's going to need a little breathing room to figure out how do we bring these characters in. Simple solution for that is mm -hmm. they've got so many mutant TV shows going on right now. Mm -hmm. They continue the mutant stream on TV and online as mm -hmm. episodic material and don't do a darn thing with them film wise. Just let mm -hmm. it rest because like we've mentioned before, you're juggling so many characters currently that you've got to introduce them a, a little bit later and, and create room for them because you've already got plans constructed up so many years out. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. it's very, very easy to continue doing something that they're already doing on television. You know, they don't want to cancel a, any successful TV shows, so you continue doing them, and it's very easy to not put out a movie. You know, so it's it's a path of least resistance. It's still keeping the mutant brand alive on television using that current timeline. But you know darn well if they bring the mutants into the MCU, they have to start over with them because according to X Men number one, that took place in the nineties and. If Iron Man was the first superhero and, uh, you know, they should have known about mutants by now. According to the movies, there it's always been a, a worldwide threat where mm -hmm. humanity has to take down the mutants. So we've just never heard of that or seen that expressed in any way in the MCU. So they have to start over with the films. So I, I think the most obvious thing for them to do is just rest the film idea for a few years make some breathing room for it, do it right. And during that time, keep all of the TV series that they're currently doing about mutants that are doing well, keep them alive and keep them running. I'm almost hesitant to bring this up at this point, but you said television. And mm -hmm. just today, as I was putting together the show notes, Jessica Jones and Punisher have been canceled by Netflix. Oh, let me go get my surprise face out the closet. I've been waiting for this. Yeah, I know. Yeah, no, that's that's no shock. I mean, they've already canceled the rest of the defenders. Of course, they were going to cancel these. It's it was I, uh, it's I almost know. not even worth putting out the press release because we all expected it coming. I know, but it just it, it kind of breaks my heart, especially. And you know, the weird thing is that no, this is good know, news, Jim. Look at the positive side, silver lining. Mm -hmm. If they would have dragged their feet, that's all that much longer that we would have had to wait to get that series revived later on at Disney Plus or Hulu or wherever they end up putting these new Marvel shows. You know, it's it's interesting you bring that up, because this is, in fact, a truly valid concept for Disney+. Plus. I was, was just talking with somebody there uh, in the past week, and they were mentioning that we've already done that. Look at the Star Wars animated Clone Wars series. They shut that show down in 2013. It was They'd scripted the fourth season, they were getting ready to go, but Disney decided that, you know, no, we want to do our own take on uh, the animated series and that sort of thing. And that's how we wound up with Star Wars Rebels instead. Mm -hmm. And it's only been in the past year or so when they were gearing up to do the subscription streaming service 
that the people of Lucasfilm were like, oh, by the way, we have this incredibly popular show that got interrupted in midstream. And we have episodes we've scripted, we've boarded. You know, we could get back into this business in a heartbeat. And that's what they did. If you talk with the people at Marvel Television, well, obviously, given the way Daredevil left off this season, mm -hmm, yeah, that show had places to go. Well, think about the very first episode of the new Daredevil on Disney Plus or Hulu or wherever would mm -hmm. be starting off with Daredevil versus Bullseye. Because that's exactly where they left off at the end of the last season. And I think that would be a huge draw because you don't have to reintroduce the character. You don't have to spend the time getting to know a new actor. You just start hit the ground running. This is what you've been paying Netflix three years to see. And now here we are over at this location. Finally, we can pay it off on day one. That would be cool. The one thing that makes me feel bad is that what gets caught in the ringer here, so to speak, is season three of Jessica Jones. It's shot. There's no news yet as to when it's going to drop. This is the season that supposedly Christian Ritter has directed a number of episodes. You would think it would be nice as a courtesy to, you know, to give that a little push and a little, you know, but face it, this is not the moment in the industry where that's going to happen. I mean, you know, Netflix and Disney are kind of like this couple that's divorcing and it's going to get ugly. And, Season three of Jessica Jones is kind of the kid who gets caught in the middle here. So where does she get to spend Christmas with Marvel or with Netflix? <laughs> I, I do not know. I do. Oh, oh, but but speaking of talking about television and and Marvel related projects, yeah. Did you see the info that's out there now about the Loki limited series for Disney Plus? New info, fresh info. Hot well, off the relatively grill? fresh. It, okay. it, it made the trades last week. We now have. The showrunner and oh. the gentleman who's taken over the show is Michael Waldron. And he's one of the writers behind Adult Swim's Rick and Morty. Whoa. Yeah. <laughs> you hey, know. God of Mischief. That that kind of sounds almost perfect. That's well, like no, you got no. your chocolate I mean, and my peanut butter. I'm down. Let's play. No, no, no. That's, well, wait till you hear. I know there's a log line out there for this show. Okay. I love this premise. If this is what they're going with, it's. It's a riff on Doctor Who. I mean, the gimmick is the god of mischief is going to show up at key moments in human history. And then Loki, and I'm, I'm quoting directly from the Marvel television press release here. He said, Loki will then become a, an unlikely influencer of human events. So, <laughs> hmm. I like that. I have to admit, I like it as well. Yes. In a weird sort of way, it does solve the whole problem of... Does this follow the events of Infinity Wars? Yeah, you know, no, I was totally down with the idea that Loki's had a thousand or so years to manipulate humanity and whatnot. And mm -hmm. so uh, the idea that it's taking place in a time before the events of Infinity Wars, I'm totally fine with that and not mm -hmm. very surprised by it. It seemed like an obvious solution and it keeps Loki dead, which mm -hmm. I think he's earned his rest. Okay. I will miss him. I love him as a character, but... It's, uh, what is it, the line out of Monty Python and the Holy Grail? I'm not dead yet! I'm not <laughs> entirely convinced that... I'd like to go for a walk. Look at it this way. His walk that he would like to go for is the new series that, that Disney okay. is given. Okay, there we go. There we go. We were talking mm. just a second ago about uh, Infinity Wars and, and log lines. Mm. There's now a log line out there for Endgame. After the devastating events of Avengers Infinity Wars, the universe is in ruins due to the efforts of the mad titan Thanos. 
With the help of remaining allies, the Avengers must assemble once more to undo Thanos' actions and restore order to the universe once and for all, no matter what consequences may be in store. Speaking of consequences, though, have you heard what the, the runtime of, of Endgame is? Yeah, it's like three plus hours. Right. And they're okay. okay with that, which will include 15 solid minutes of credits. Well, okay, that's true. I'm hoping, given my 60-year-old bladder, that I don't have to actually sit in for those 15-minute credits. Yeah, but here's the thing that you don't anticipate. It's You prepare for the three-hour runtime. It's mm -hmm. the half hour of footage and commercials and turn off your cell phone and here's mm -hmm. 32 trailers. And then you've got a three-hour movie to sit through. And if you want to see the extra special bonus scene, yes, you have to sit through the 15-minute credits because you have no idea when they're going to pop in that mid-scene little button as well. So, yeah, you're in for the long haul. Pack Wait. a tent. Um. Take some okay. jerky for sustenance, some trail mix to keep you going. I'm going to go to a theater that doesn't have one of those. The little electric button that makes the, it suddenly it's a Baca lounger. Those are deadly. I can't tell you the number of movies in the past year I've lost 10 or 15 minutes because, oh, this is comfy. Right, yeah, yeah. We're talking Endgame. Don Cheadle's out beginning to do some press for this thing, and... I don't know if you caught his appearance on Kimmel uh, back in late January, but he was talking about how he will not do press with Mark Ruffalo now. Cheadle basically said, that dude can run off his mouth. And then right. that he gives away secrets that they're just not supposed to give. Right. I don't know if you f saw just last week when they released the Frozen 2 trailer, but Josh Gad had this really funny interaction with Mark Ruffalo as a direct result of this. The trailer goes up, and Josh, who's the voice of Olaf in the Frozen film, he, he tweets out, for the next nine months, I have to live with the fact that every Frozen 2 secret that you wish to know resides in my brain. It's like, uh-oh, note to self, do not pull a Mark Ruffalo. And Ruffalo reaches out through Twitter to Josh Gad and says, does everybody die? Please direct message me. <laughs> which hmm. I thought was I thought was kind of cool. I mean, Mark making fun of his own reputation. Right. On the other hand, Josh followed up with this that he's saying I'm pretty sure Twitter just used me to create a, a new verb called spoilering, and I'm all in. Can, can we get Merriam-Webster dictionary to do this with my name as a reference, as in Josh Gad is very worried about spoilering uh, Frozen Two? I really want that to happen. You want spoilering to be added to the dictionary, or you want to have Josh Gad used in reference to spoilering? Yes and yes. Okay. That's our new Twitter campaign. Josh Gad for spoilering. Hashtag Miriam. There we go. And while we're talking about animation, it's a project called The Offenders? Yeah, and I can't wait. That sounds like a whole bunch of fun. It also sounds like a big middle finger to Netflix, don't you think? Well, yeah, well, I feel quickly given that this is being done over at Hulu. Yes, I, I would say as such. For me, though, again, when I look at the logline of this, this kind of looks like a spoof on DC's Suicide Squad. Well, this is how the show's described. Marvel's The Offenders is a story in which nobody asked them to, and we'd be better off if they really didn't. Yeah. But Modoc, Dazzler, Tigra, Hitmonkey, and Howard the Duck are all forced to team up in order to save the world and certain parts of the universe. And Jeff Loeb of Marvel is executive producing. Now, I know you're the Howard the Duck fan. And to be honest, I'm a Howard the Duck fan. 
I may be one of the only people on the planet who really does like the film from 86. No, I'm with you. I like it. You know, to be honest, my affection for that movie, it, it's not even one scene. It's its one line. Mm-hmm. Do you know the moment where the Tim Robbins character and Leah Thompson from, from the Back to the Future movies, mm-hmm. they go to uh, with Howard to the laboratory with their, they've accidentally reached out into space and there are explosions going on. There are people running around screaming. There are fires. And Howard just sort of turns to the camera and says, this does not bode well. I've been quoting that most of my adult life. <laughs> I don't know why that line tickled me, but you sent this along to me because you saw that Howard the Duck was going to be featured in this. Yeah, well, it also had uh, Patton Oswalt's name attached to it. I love Patton Oswalt. Yeah, right. How can you not love Patton Oswalt? He's just <laughs> great. And he's also a fan, right? And you got to love when a fan gets to jump into some part of the MCU as a fan of it and and become a part of it. You just have to kind of cheer on that moment and, and hope that everything could be as dreamy as they could ever hope for it to be. So thumbs up. We're rooting for Now, him. he's actually writing along with Jordan Bloom, mm-hmm. the Modoc section of the offenders. And right. and I love the premise of, of what they're going to do with this. I mean, again, Modoc, for those of you who don't know, is the, he's the supervillain with the, the really big head and the teeny tiny body. But on this show, the gimmick is, I guess, that he's struggling to maintain control of his evil organization as well as his demanding family. Mm-hmm. And Patton Oswalt, who is sort of the signature voice of obsession and frustration it's like oh wouldn't he be great as modok right i'm almost hoping for out of this whole thing Mm -hmm. and i could be so wrong but i'm desperately hoping for a venture brothers vibe out of it because venture brothers does such a great job of lampooning the superhero comic book universe and they don't have the rights to any of the characters that they're lampooning, but they do such a good job of it that it's like now Marvel could very well take that wry sense of humor, turn it in on themselves, and really go to town. And I just hope that they do. And it's interesting that, that you bring up Venture Brothers, because obviously that's part of the Adult Swim programming block at mm-hmm. uh, Cartoon Network. And Dave Willis, who worked on Aqua Teen Hunger Force, I mean, he's... He's actually working with Kevin Smith on the Howard the Duck portion of the Offenders. So, right. um, yeah, I mean, well, at least in theory, you'll you'll get some of that Venture Brothers Adult Swim vibe going on here. There's another part of the story that I would really love to share, but I've I've been sworn to secrecy for a while, so embargoed I, for one month. Do not pass go. For now, my selfie face, duck shaped lips are sealed. But hopefully, in the future, I'll get to share this story. And speaking of things that I can't reveal sources on or that sort of thing, I have some bad news for you theme park fans. Remember that Spider-Man pendulum ride patent that Len found? Mm -hmm. We initially got confirmation from Imagineering that this was a thing. Not only was it a thing, it was going to be part of the new Marvel land that was expansion area that's being added to Disney's California Adventure well, Disney just doesn't build these things. They first, they prototype them and they do what they call playtesting. They recruit people out in Southern California. They bring them to obscure warehouses where they have stuff set up and people sign non-disclosures and they ride on them. And evidently they did this with the pendulum ride. And a good portion of the people who 
experienced this thing, enjoyed it, but also got nauseous. Well, yeah. Which, <laughs> you know, doesn't work when you're selling people $12 turkey legs and giant churros. Right. So they have defaulted to a different attraction. In fact, uh, so this one, it, hold on. This was the one multi stories tall. You were suspended, hanging from a pendulum, swinging back and forth, and down on the floor went their video screens to make it look like it was even oh, further yeah, to extend yeah. the view by several blocks almost. Yeah. yeah. It sounded fantastic in theory and mm. so very exciting as a concept and so very disappointed now that they had to scrap it. I hope. If the next attraction is it going to be Spider-Man themed, and are they going to go as are they going to have to tame it down? Or are they just going with a different hero? No, it's still Spidey. And okay. interesting that they've gone with a different essential sort of Spideyness thing rather than the swinging through the concrete canyons of Manhattan. The fun aspect of this ride is you get to thwip. You're going to be riding through this building on a the want to stress here that the ride system is on the ground. You know, you're mm-hmm. not going back and forth. You're not flying. But you are equipped with a sort of a Toy Story Midway Mania-type cannon where as you fire it at various things around the room, you will see Spidey's webbing, and you are helping Peter Parker restore order in the city. Super lame. Yeah. There, yeah, there is no way I would, even as a Spider-Man fan, it, it, to me, that seems like something that would entertain nine to 15 year olds tops. Well, and... now it's interesting you say that because that is actually the point that Disney's trying to create an attraction that appeals to Spider-Man fans from eight to 80. They also want something that is relatively easy for people of differing abilities Right. I remember, again, the American with Disabilities Act, uh, getting in and out of the ride vehicle, being able to control the firing mechanism. So for me, I guess the problem is that didn't we already do this? I mean, if you think back to the amazing Adventures of Spider-Man ride that opened at Islands of Adventure uh, back in 1999, to be going through the city of Manhattan and encountering Spidey's enemies, that's what this attraction is. It sounds almost as as exciting as standing on one of the moving walkways at an airport while shooting a laser tag gun at a wall. I'm just disappointed that, you know, we're not getting this this pendulum thing with the the amazing extending the, the illusion of the height that you're operating at, you know, with the digital screens on the floor. But here's the thing uh, that they should have considered. And I wish they would have. I mean, they've mm -hmm. got Imagineers. They got to understand the they they know this. But I mean, if you make the pendulum longer, Mm -hmm. you will swing farther forwards and backwards. Right. Mm -hmm. Which can be nauseating. So if you shorten the pendulum, you won't swing as far, therefore minimizing the amount of nausea that you should be exposed to. And since everything is mechanical, I'm sure you could mechanically minimize that motion even more so you can keep the illusion with the video screens down below you. You can have a sense of movement, just not so much that you feel like your stomach is coming out of your mouth from, you know, dropping or swinging or anything like that. To go all the way to just here, sit in a cart that rolls across the floor and you can shoot this little gun at uh, things projected on a wall. And so you can see a a webbing up here and capture the criminal goes from thrill ride scale level 10 to base level one. You know, and it's I wish they would have went for like a seven instead of so low. 
Disney does have some very interesting Marvel-related stuff in the works for the parks. And in fact, folks, if you stick around for this commercial break, Aaron and I will talk about them. Okay, Aaron and I were just talking about the new Marvel-themed expansion area that's going to be opening at California Adventure in 2020. That's only phase one that will be opening by the summer of 2020. In much the same way that what's going on with Pixar Pier right now, how just this past summer we got phase one, you got the Incredicoaster and various other things, but there are several attractions that won't be ready till this coming summer. Jesse's Critter Carousel and the Inside Out Emotional Whirlwind, which I always like the other name for that thing, the earlier name, which was the Mood Swings. But if you, you hang around for 2021, what you're going to see pop up at Disney's California Adventure. In fact, if you Google Hong Kong Disneyland and Ant-Man and the Wasp Nano Battle, what's going to pop up is artwork and props and interiors from this attraction, which isn't even opening to the public till March 31st. But Nano Battle... This is slated open at DCA, though I was told that the folks who manage the Disneyland Resort want to hold off on fully committing until they see how enthusiastic Hong Kong Disneyland visitors are to this Tomorrowland attraction. If they show big-time enthusiasm, and like I said, if there's lots of sales of that Ant-Man and the Wasp merch, they will, in fact, go forward with construction of it. Interestingly enough, they've already committed to an Ant-Man restaurant which is a microbrewery, only the thing they used to identify the, that this is a microbrewery is that there's going to be a 20-foot-tall beer can on top of the building. Mm -hmm. So anyway, just weeks from now, they're doing an event at the park that I'm sure Marvel fans will want to take part in. It's called Disneyland After Dark Heroes Assemble at Disney California Adventure Park. Now, this is a hard ticket. And it's actually a two-night well, two event. It's, it's being held both on April 30th and May 1st. Folks may purchase a ticket for either night. By the way, Aaron, the tickets for this thing start at $109. Wow. And the event only runs for four hours, 9 p.m. to 11 a.m. So it's literally after Disney California Adventure closes for the day. But on the other hand, if you're a Marvel fan, this after-hours hard-ticket event is going to be kind of an early taste of what DCA is going to try to do with its Marvel expansion area. There's going to be, uh, as they put it, epic entertainment, including a rocking dance party and heroic show moments. Guests will be allowed to dress as their favorite superheroes and then have memorable encounters with admired superheroes. It'll be a park-wide scavenger hunt to help, and again, I'm quoting from the press release here, to save mankind from complete chaos immersive photo opportunities and gallant decor and along of course with the usual theme food beverage and merchandise offerings i want to caution people right off the bat there will only be a limited number of tickets available for this thing disneyland annual pass holders will have the first shot at them they're going to go on sale later this week and then two days after that they will then be available to the general public but here's the part that intrigued me Aaron. i'm going over the official disney webpage for this Heroes Assemble event. And I can't help but notice that one word seems to be missing. And that word is Marvel. If we go back to the March 20th, 2018 announcement 
for the Avengers and other superheroes assemble in the new themed areas at Disneyland Resort, Paris, Disneyland Paris, and Hong Kong Disneyland. The Disneyland Paris section of this announcement can mention Marvel, no problem. It reads, as part of the transformative multi-year expansion announced for Disneyland Paris, the new Marvel-themed area at Walt Disney Studios Park will include a reimagined attraction where ride, uh, riders can join uh, Iron Man and their favorite adventures for a hyperkinetic adventure in 2020. Likewise, the Hong Kong Disneyland section of the story has no trouble mentioning that these new ride shows and attractions are being developed for that theme park. And again, I'm quoting directly here. They're being developed in partnership with Marvel Studios and Marvel Entertainment. Whereas, listen to this. This is the Disneyland Resort specific section. Again, this is only talking about Disney's Resort in Anaheim, California. At Disneyland Resort, the new superhero-themed land will begin recruiting guests in 2020, and even more experiences will follow. The Guardians of the Galaxy will be joined by Spider-Man and the Avengers in what will become a completely immersive superhero universe, furthering the evolution of Disney California Adventure Park. It then goes on to describe the uh, Guardians of the Galaxy Mission Breakout Ride and the fact that Bugs Land will be closing to make way for uh, this expansion. Again, this is the article was from March of 2018, so 11 months ago. But just specifically in that section, all that Disney is allowed to say is superhero-themed land and superhero universe, but not Marvel. And so why is that? What this has to do with is that pesky master licensing agreement that MCA Inc., that's the parent company, of Universal Parks and Resorts. This is the thing they signed with Marvel, the Marvel Entertainment Group back in March of 1994. And I got you a copy of that a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, and I went over it for a long time. Lots of language in there about east of the Mississippi and where characters can be used and, you know, how many hundreds of miles, they, you know, there can be stores or, you know, arena shows or that sort of thing. But there's not a whole lot in there about west of the Mississippi. Mm-hmm. What people forget is up until January of 2008, Universal Studios Hollywood actually had walk-around versions of Marvel characters like Spidey and Wolverine and Captain America. They, they were doing meet and greets in the upper lot, you know, providing some street atmosphere for that park. And then who can forget the Spider-Man Rock Show, which was presented at Universal Studios Hollywood, again, also in the upper lot in the Castle Theater, uh, this was a combination stunt show done to classic rock music that ran at that theme park from May 2002 through August of 2004. But the one thing I know you'd love, Aaron, was the Marvel Mania Restaurant. Okay. This was built in the upper lot, operated from February of 1998 through September of 1999. And this was supposed to be Marvel's answer to Planet Hollywood and the Hard Rock Cafe. It was an eatery that featured, I mean, this highly themed. You were surrounded by giant statues of Marvel characters and pop art pieces of classic comic book panels. But it also had menu items like Doc Ox Walk. <laughs> and you could also get a sandwich, sure. uh, which, of course, was a tribute and nod to the late, great Stan Lee. I'm sure that most sandwiches came with cheese. <laughs> <laughs> Lots and lots dose. of cheese. Right, right. Okay, yeah. <laughs> that's good. That's good. Okay. So Marvel Entertainment definitely was a presence at Universal Studios Hollywood. 
for 10 years. We're talking February of 1998 through January of 2008. So what does this have to do with the Imagineers' plans for California Adventure? I don't know. We jump ahead now. August 2009. Walt Disney Company pays Marvel Entertainment $2.4 billion for the rights to 5,000 characters. And, of course, this immediately gets NBC Universal's attention because, of course, they've got Marvel Superhero Island at Universal's Island Adventure down in Orlando. So they pull out their contracts and they're going over them. And, you know, they just want to make sure that we're not going to get tripped up by this Disney deal. And while they're reviewing what's going on for the East Coast properties, they also take a look at what are our remaining obligations or in regard to West Coast. And it turns out, yes, they did, in fact, allow the rights to have walk-around character versions of Spidey and Wolverine and Captain America. They let that lapse, largely because Marvel was was asking for more money to renew the rights, and Universal's enter- uh, Hollywood's entertainment department wasn't willing to cough up additional cash. But it turns out, as they dug down deeper into the deal, there was language in there that gave Universal Studios Hollywood exclusive rights to the Marvel name, supposedly for this, within the borders of the state of California. I'm doing my damnedest now to get friends on the West Coast who work for Universal to get me a physical copy of, of this. It's a, evidently a tangential document off of the original master licensing agreement with Marvel Entertainment. Uh-huh. But evidently what happened was because the Marvel Mania restaurant, the one that was built on the upper lot, was supposed to be the first of a nationwide chain. Marvel felt they didn't want to put it out on CityWalk. They wanted to put it inside the park because they thought we're putting a lot of money in it. It's basically an attraction. And in fact, that's what kind of eventually bit them in the butt mm-hmm. was people were already at a theme park. They'd already paid big dough to get in and they'd they'd look in at the Marvel restaurant and see all the wonderful theming. And then they'd look at the sample menu that was outside of the restaurant and see how much a sandwich cost. And evidently that was some very expensive cheese <laughs> and they'd walk away. So again, it ended up shutting down after 19 months of operation. And as I understand it, the investors totally lost their shirts on this, but universal, it was like, look, we're assuming some risk here and we'd like to get something back. And it, evidently there was precedent for this. It's not all that well known, but Walt Disney, when he was building the original Disneyland out in those orange groves in Anaheim, California, I mean, this was the highway that took people to Disneyland hadn't been completed yet. So it would take like three or four hours from the Disney lot on surface streets just to get out to the work site. But Walt knew if he built this place, he needed a hotel or a motel. Bob Hope, to his dying day, regretted that Walt had pitched him on you could build the hotel next to Disneyland. And he put these amazing terms on the table where you can have the rights for free for a hundred years to name any other hotel in California, Disneyland. Wow. And Bob looked at where it was located and thought Walt was nuts and said, no. But the interesting thing is Jack rather the gentleman who produced the Lassie TV show and the Lone Ranger. He said, yes, but he also, he got the Bob Hope deal. He got the, you have the rights to name any other hotel in Southern California, Disneyland. And of course, once Disneyland opened, it was a huge success. Here's Jack. He rolled the dice and won big. And in fact, when the Walt Disney Company finally did get back 
the rights to the Disneyland Hotel. When they bought it from the Rather Corporation, they had to pay $152 million. And if you talk to the people at Disneyland, yeah, it was great to get the hotel back, but the really important thing was to get the name back. So anyway, uh, getting back to the whole Marvel situation. So that's the deal. Disney doesn't have the rights to use the Marvel name. I mean, you know, look, you Disneyland Paris just this past summer. They had the Marvel Summer of Superhero event. Disney California, uh, the year previous, 2017, they had a very similar uh, event that started in June of 2017. But they couldn't call theirs the Marvel's Summer of Superhero events. They just had to call it Summer of Superheroes. We've got the situation where Disney's handcuffed in Florida in regard to which characters it can use in the parks. And we've got this situation in California where Disney can use the Marvel characters, they just can't use the Marvel name. If you want to actually experience the sort of immersive, brand-promoting, in-your-face, Marvel-themed event that the Walt Disney Company really wants to do at all of its stateside parks and resorts, what you need to do at first is get out into the international waters uh, where that master licensing agreement you know, doesn't apply at all. And that's where on the Disney Cruise Line you can then experience the Marvel Day at Sea, which really does put the marvelous in Marvel. I'm surprised that they didn't do, instead of like a, the Summer of Superheroes, mm-hmm. why didn't they just choose like a hero name, like make it the Summer of Spider-Man? If you just say superhero, it could be anything. It could be DC. It could be just a generic cape-wearing, mask-wearing superhero. Mm-hmm. And so I get you can't use the Marvel name, but man, why can't you toss out the name of one of your higher-tiered roster so at least you get the association going but from the name? And that way you can at least not be 100% generic in your terminology and still get the Marvel clout without breaking the rules. You know, I don't know that that's an excellent observation. Hey, Marvel, give me a damn job. I mean, the weird thing is you can go online right now. You can go to YouTube and watch the commercials that Disney put together to promote the Summer of Superheroes at Disney California Adventure. And you you can watch Spidey swing through, uh, you know, in fact, I think he swings across Paradise Bay. I want to say they, they show people doing meet and greets with Captain America and they're also hyping the Guardians of the Galaxy Mission Breakout ride, which had just opened at that point. Mm-hmm. And I just wonder if it was a decision based on the fact that they had just opened the Guardians ride and they didn't want to sort of, you know, confuse or muddy that by saying, oh, it's the Spidey summer. You know, well, I mean, you could, it could be just totally the, the Guardians summer. It doesn't matter, you know, which mm-hmm. hero. And especially if the Guardians ride had just come out. Sure, why not call it the summer of the Guardians of the Galaxy? Because you're promoting, you know, probably was there a movie out at that time? Was two it was, out? It was. Yeah. Yep. So yeah, you're double promoting the movie as well as the ride, and you're still connected to the Marvel universe. I mean, that all makes completely logical sense. Why the hell didn't anyone think of it and utilize what they had? I don't know what to tell you, Aaron, but yes, they should give you a job. <laughs> anyway, for now, I would really love to hear from any of our listeners who actually dined at Universal Studios Hollywood's Marvel Mania restaurant during that very brief window of time when it was in operation at a theme park. I, I especially want to know about the cheese that was used in the sandwiches. <laughs> if you know folks would go over to iTunes and rate and review the show, well, that would help spread the word about the Jim Hill Media Podcast Network. If you like this show, we have lots of other podcasts here. 
We've got the show that started it all, Disney-ish with Len Testa. Likewise, we've got fine-tuning with Drew Taylor. There's also Looking at Lucasfilm, a Star Wars-centric show that I do with, with the one, the only, Dan Z. And let's not forget about Universal Joint, the podcast I do with Dustin Fuse. And we have our, our brand new show. We have I Want That with Shelley Valladolid. That's the podcast that takes an up-close look at mer the merchant collectible side of things. We're about to re record the second show of that series, where we talk about when Disney Consumer Products was talking with the people at Disney Animation Studios about a then-still-in-production film, The Little Mermaid. Supposedly, there was one executive there who told the animators, just like, are you crazy? No little girl is ever going to want to buy that doll with red hair. You have to make Ariel a blonde. Wah, 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 several years later in <laughs> retrospect. Well, I'm sorry. Entertainment history is crazy. Anyway, folks, thanks for listening to this week's Marvelous Disney. On behalf of my co-host, again, the amazing Aaron Adams, have a good night. More Marvelous Disney will be coming soon. In the meantime, check out one of the other great shows found only on the Jim Hill Media Network.